Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Catholic Stuff You Should Know here with Father Nathan Goebel. By the way, did you hear that Dispatch just came out with a new album? Are you serious? Yeah. Dispatch was a band I listened to in high school. Then they broke up right after I left high school. Now they're doing reunion shows. That shows I'm old. Now One they're, month, now they're doing like actual new stuff. Well, I'm going to eat an Oreo as we get to the topic. Mm. All right. Well, um, if you were listening last week, we were talking about the theology of alpineering. Mountaineering. Mountaineering. And I was pretty excited because I was out of my kennel. So, um, Actually, you were not excited. You just had to go to the bathroom. It's not true. <laughs> Anyways, the um, um, part of the reason why um, I was excited just to do podcasts was, one, I haven't done it in a while, as we talked about, and again, mea culpa, um, but uh, I'm doing my parish assignment up in uh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, Fort Collins. Co. And there's not a whole lot going on. And so... Um, for the better part of the morning, I just pretend to look busy. Um, I do emails, like sometimes I have sick calls or communion, whatever. Um, but for the most part, I have, you know, genuine free time. So, July 5th, the uh, offices were closed and uh, the pastor was gone. Um, and I had a whole morning. So, I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to be a good little Catholic boy. <laughs> And I'm going to read the Pope's encyclical. Yep, folks, that's what happens when you're celibate. You have a lot more time for reading the Pope's encyclicals. That's like last night I was talking to John Fraker, a college guy who's working down in Tucson now. And he's working like 60-hour weeks, just got out of college. And we're falling asleep, talking on the phone at 9 o'clock on a Friday night. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is reality. <laughs> no more college ministry. Yep. Welcome to the parish. Welcome to adulthood. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was around ten o'clock last night, and we were at, we were still at the dinner table, and I was like falling asleep, like while somebody else was talking. Anyways, so, um, so the Pope came out with his first encyclical. Pope Francis um, had said that he was going to write an encyclical on faith, evangelical poverty. Oh, this one's Benedict's though. This is not Benedict's. This is an interesting one. Okay. It's Benedict. You it, think Pope is, Francis is quoting Nietzsche? And Wittgenstein. Yeah, it's yeah, definitely. Well, anyways. Pope, Pope Benedict said that. He's handing, I'm handing on the draft exactly. of this to you exactly. if you want to use it. He talks about this at the very beginning of the incident. I haven't even read it, but I'm just that's fine. <laughs> you know. I think the, I just lost the toenail. Oh, sorry. That's disgusting. <laughs> sorry. The encyclical is called Lumen Fidei, um, The Light of Faith. So it follows the pattern of uh, Pope Benedict, where he started, his first encyclical was Deus Caritas Est, God is Love, and then his second one, Space Salve, um, in and Hope We Are Saved. he did the other saved. one that was really long. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then he did Caritatis and Veritate, but anyways, that was social justice. Yeah. So he wanted to finish, but he retired first. So um, Francis, Pope Francis, took what he had already done and then made some... Um, just of his own comments. There's no, like, footnotes that say, like, this is Benedict, this is Francis. Right. But it's really interesting because, like, um, I mean, I don't know when the last time there was a retired pope. We talked about it before. But the fact that they would have, you know, cross-pollinization with their thoughts and everything and his first encyclical would actually be influenced by his predecessor. Why do I say that? Because they say that 
if you read the first encyclical of a pope, you get a good idea of what his pontificate is going to be right. like. Redemptors, uh, hominis, John right. Paul, Deus Cartes Est, you know. Right. Whatever, Paul VI. I was actually, yeah, exactly. I was really excited. I think maybe his first one was Evangelii Nuziandi. Who? Pope Paul VI. But anyways, that's just to sound no, impressive. That, that, that I that was that. in the seventh. <laughs> no, that was anyways, like 12 years. Focus. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the point is, is this his first encyclical? Yes, because he signed it at the end of it. But I think we have to wait for the next one. If, if he's actually writing it on evangelical poverty, given what we know about him, you know, the guy cooked his own meals, he rode the subway, he didn't live in the papal apartments, like all these things that were really Which groundbreaking. Which, pause, do you know why he's not living in the papal apartments? He it's said, not poverty. It's fundamentally community. Yep. He wants to live in community. I sent that to you. I know. Anyways. But I sound smart because exactly. I quoted it first. Isn't that amazing? It is. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. That he, that, he, that he said it was a personal choice for him that he doesn't do well living alone. Yeah. Um, and I can say that I don't do well living alone either. And I would say that also. Anyways. So, um, as I read this encyclical, um, I was like, well, this is kind of Benedict, kind of Francis, whatever. Um, and I'm not going to give... I, I, there's no way I can give you a whole synopsis of the whole thing. So I'm just going to take um, one theme um, from it. And we're just going to have a little little, little, little powwow on it. So this is for people who are not good little Catholic boys like you. We're yeah, not well, going to read it. Trust the, uh... <laughs> Like if Halo 5 and, you know, the, the encyclical came out on the same day, my guess is there is like a micro, <laughs> micro percentage of people that are reading this instead of that. So, um, but I did it really just to, because I, I, I don't do that stuff. You know, I don't read encyclicals. You're a new man. Unless, unless I'm assigned. You know, but this is my pope, and I do love I do love Pope Francis. He's great. Um, so obviously, the it's on faith. Um, we're in the year of faith, um, and so he kind of walks he walks through um, the connections of faith and um, the Old Testament, how that's kind of expressed, how faith is brought to its fullness in the revelation of Christ, um, and then showing the reasonableness of faith. So kind of, uh, if you read Fetus et Ratio, um, there's, it kind of builds on that. And then the third section is, like, how do we receive faith? Um, so kind of fundamental theology, which is, like, the sources of revelation, right. sacraments, um, creeds, whatever. And then finally, um, faith, what, what is faith's relation to society? Um, and then ending with Mary. That's kind of a water ski overview. The only thing that I want to talk about is this. He talks about faith, um, and he pairs faith with love. His first section is, you know, chapter 1, we have believed in love, uh, quoting 1 John 4, 16. Um, and in this is love, um, that God loved us um, and saved us from our sins. He sent his son. Um, so we have faith in the son. Um, but the, the, the connection between faith and love he talks about it in terms of uh, the lack of faith. The lack of faith leads to, for the Old Testament, idolatry. Right. And I thought it was very interesting that um, he paired faith and love with idolatry. So then it's natural when we get to uh, this connection with love that if you have idolatry and God is seen as a husband to his people, that... 
idolatry is seen as adultery. Um, so a lack of faith leads to idolatry. A lack of love leads to adultery. Um, and he, he pairs truth um, as fidelity. Fidelity, gotcha. fidelity to what God has revealed. Okay. The, the reason why I kind of talk about that is we are in a crisis of faith um, in our culture. Um, not just that people don't know their catechism or something like that. Um, but a crisis of an understanding of their relationship with God. Story to kind of illustrate. Hold this. on, pause for a second. Yes, meow. Is the call the crisis of faith now that we're experiencing rooted in a crisis of love? I think like the church of the first half of the 20th century, that the form was there, everything was there, but it was there was something missing that gave way to the 60s. I think, or is it just that it's going to follow now? And no, we're losing how to love. Absolutely, I think you're right. That that the crisis of faith you can't have a crisis of faith without a crisis of love. Right. They they they're so intertwined. Um, similar, I think, in a similar way to the um, uh, the transcendentals, you know, truth, beauty, and goodness. Balthazar talks about if you exclude beauty, um, she will take her twin sisters with her. Truth and goodness. Huh. Um, and I and I don't know. Maybe that's wrong. Um, but I think that you have vestiges of hope and love while you have faith. And if you really make acts of hope, you you naturally have faith in the God that you hope in and love um, love Him that you know that you have hope in. Whatever. Anyways, okay. Story to kind of illustrate this. As you know, with all of our podcasts some people have organizations some people just have interesting anecdotes i just have 20 minutes of airtime is that joe me and then you yeah why not okay yeah <laughs> so i met i met this um i met this event and we end up sitting next to these other people we're at a rib fest okay and rib fest and fargo i'm there for an ordination father sean mulligan peace be upon you uh, uh, from before the steam shovels if you remember that's his brother's band Anyways, so we go to this rib fest. We wait in line for an hour for ribs. We're getting into this conversation about what is the church, what is the diaconate, all this stuff. And it's just one of these like festivals where there's like picnic tables, but like you don't get your own picnic table, you just share it with other people. So we sit down next to these two women who are in, you know, spaghetti straps. That's all you need to know. Okay. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. So we sit down next to them. We're eating our ribs. We ask if we can sit down. Yes, fine. What's the first question that somebody asks? Not the two girls. They're listening to our conversation. The guy asks me a question. Is who you're talking to? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with three other people. There's four people total. And then these two other ladies that are sitting at this picnic table. Okay. The guy asks me a question. He's getting ready to go on the Camino. Right? Camino de Santiago. He's going to Spain. Whatever. Of all the things he can talk about of the Camino, he asks me, What's the indulgence attached oh, to gosh. to this? Okay, what are indulgences? He's he's effectively asking what are indulgences. Now I can sit there and talk about indulgences. You know, I mean, not for very long because I don't know too much about it. But I mean, I have a general idea. But the point is, these two girls are sitting there, and they're they're all of a sudden, who do they encounter but Christians? And maybe they're already Christians, but they have people that are you know verifiably Christian. And what are they talking about? They're talking about indulgences. 
Um, and it just put a really bad taste in my mouth. Not because it was bad that he brought it up, and not because it was bad that he was inquisitive about it, but, but it was like, is this what we are communicating to the outside world about what the Catholic Church is still interested in? Um, indulgences. And indulgences are a great thing. And in, in proper time, I think that you know people should know about them. But the revelation of Jesus Christ, you know, the, the exegesis of the Father, so the Trinitarian communion, all of a sudden you have this person that comes out of that and takes up residence on earth, does these interesting things, and then leaves. We're not talking about that anymore. We're not talking about how amazing it is that God has entered into time. We are talking about indulgences. And it's the same thing that when you're sitting around and you get into an argument about the church's teachings about abortion or, you know, gay marriage or whatever. And, you know, just a side note, uh, I think I speak for all of us, you know, here at the, here at Catholic Stuff You Should Know. That's a scary thought. Okay. Yeah. That we're not, we're not specifically going into these topics week after week after week. Gay marriage, contraception, abortion. We're trying to woo our bride. We're not just going to immediately start in with contraception. But make no mistake, we stand with the church and believe in the church's teachings, but we're not just immediately going to come out there with, you know, hey, by the way, this is what the church says, and either put up or shut up. Right. Right? So, if you're around with a bunch of people and you're getting into these arguments about um, what the Catholic Church is and her stance on whatever... I, th- I would just encourage you to pause and ask yourself the question of, what, what is this all about? You know, are we are we still concerned with the revelation of Jesus Christ, or are we more concerned with the things that we can grasp that we can actually debate about? You know, the black and white issues of right. you know, um, is is this morally licit? What is what is indulgences or whatever? I think it's because we're uncomfortable with mystery. Right. Um, so you were saying, you know, um, is the crisis of love, you know, now or has it happened then? Well, I think that's a great point that what what happened in the 1960s, you know, it was free love. Because I think that the love that was intended for God and for right, the rightful um, interaction of his creatures to one another, man and woman towards one another, um, was inverted and perverted. Because, as well, there was a crisis of faith. You know, people just didn't know what to do with the feelings that they had, um, and they were so repressed, they just couldn't, you know, they couldn't deal with it. Okay? It seems to me that the, um, the question of faith, too, is an interesting one, because faith, I preached about this um, uh, pretending to have read the um, encyclical on Friday, and so I, I preached about the Pope's encyclical. <laughs> Don't tell anybody that at my parish. Um, but one of the things I said was, you know, we... We are so thoroughly imbued with this understanding of Americans that faith is something that I produce. Mm. It's something that I do. It's something I create. It's not. It's completely gratuitous. It is a gift. And the only way I can get more faith, in quotes there, is by surrendering and begging. Mm-hmm. Right? I can't produce more faith because I prayed my rosary today or I did this or this. That's Pelagianism. That's heretical. And so, so much of the problem is that we, we approach God from the fact that this is all things we're doing instead of the the fundamental realization that everything is a gift and it's nothing that we've done, it's everything we've received. 
And um, so for Christians who are Pelagian, stepping into an argument with people who have no faith, and you're arguing about the five big issues, contraception, divorce, gay marriage, uh, women priesthood, and uh, there's another one. I can't think of it. Um, they say abortion. That Those are like, you know, it's always those five. That is the Catholic Church in the eyes of the world. Hmm. It's like no wonder why we're making no headway. Right. You know, we have to we have to realize that this conversation, um, it looks radically different from the perspective of faith, but we have to really do an examination of our own conscience and say, do I actually understand faith to be what it is? Because if it's not, it will never lead to love. If faith is something that's Pelagian, it's something that I do. Yep. It'll always lead to pride and Phariseeism. And it's so hard to get a grasp of what we mean by faith, you know. Um, when somebody talks about, you know, Lord, increase my faith, or, yeah, my faith is kind of weak right now. Uh, what, what do you mean by faith? So with documents like this, I mean, I'm just, I'm just mining for gold, okay? Most of the stuff, I have no idea what they're talking about, okay? And that's okay. You know, take what you can get. It's the same thing with this podcast, okay? We hope that there's one nugget of gold or even aluminum that you can take from this, from this <laughs> podcast, okay? Um, so when you get a definition, you sit up and pay attention because that is something that you can hold on to. Not so that you can hold it over people, but so you can have a... It's like the, the picture becomes a little more sharp, you know? You've, you focus the, the binoculars a little more, okay? Does he give a definition of faith? Paragraph four. Here we go. Paragraph four of Lumen Fidei. Faith is born of an encounter with the living God who calls us and reveals his love, a love which precedes us and upon which we can lean for security and for building our lives. That's very CL. That's got to be Francis. Well, that's what I said. That's that's Giassani. That's communion and liberation. The encounter. Yeah. The, faith well, is encounter. Yeah. The catechism describes faith as personal adherence to the living God. Yeah. But I like that. I like that definition. Once more, faith is born of an encounter with the living God who calls us and reveals his love, a love which precedes us and upon which we can lean for security and for building our lives. One thing that he's talking about is our faith is um, an amen. The amen is this Hebrew word that means I believe, yes, but it's also this is what I ground everything of reality, my reality upon, you know. It is the rock upon which um, you build your reality. Um, you're not building on sand, you're building on rock because the rock is stable. It's, I mean, and in the desert with all the shifting sands, a rock, like an, an actual rock, not just like a pebble or something like that, but a huge cliff, you, even if everything's crazy and, you know, wild and, you know, you've kind of lost your way, you can look at that rock and you can say, I know where I am, okay? But it says, faith is born of an encounter with the living God who calls and reveals his love, okay? What I preached about three weeks ago to my parish that people were just loving was as simple as this, okay? In First John, um, we get a definition of what love is, Okay? So, and then in, in 1 John, he says, in this is love, okay? In this is love, all of a sudden, you, okay, here comes a definition. I'm going to pay attention. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, Pelagianism, on our part. Right. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us. Right. And sent his son as expiation for our sins. So God loves us. This Trinitarian communion loves us. And out of that communion is jettisoned or commissioned missioned this son who takes form in the person of christ so in in christ is this love 
He is the fullest revelation of the Father. So when we talk about our faith, and we're talking about our Catholic faith, okay, if there's any bishops listening right now, I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't like the Fortnite for Freedom. I think it's a good thing. I think it's a, you know, we need to pay attention to religious liberty. But this prayer that we had to pray, it just drove me insane. Because it was all about protecting our liberties and religious freedom and that our consciences would one day be one nation under all. Okay, all this propaganda. Who is Jesus Christ? You know, like if we're not communicating that to people, if we're not communicating the revelation of Jesus Christ fully and like, you know, like with vibrancy, people aren't going to care about religious freedom. What are we protecting? We're protecting this like shanty when there's no like hearth of love living inside of it. Yeah. Okay. So the crisis of faith is also a crisis of love. And what happens when there's a crisis of faith? Idolatry. What happens when there's a crisis of love? Adultery. And I think that what we have done in the last, you know, 50 years, and we've been doing this for, you know, the last millennia, is we are lost. And when we're lost, we're afraid. And instead of adhering to the God who reveals himself in Jesus Christ, we try to create our own reality. And we try to create our own, you know, safety. And that that was that that links kind of what we were talking about before. The anima technica vacua is right. we've built this modern society where we all feel safe. But we've foregone the sun, like the the actual sun, in favor of flashlights. That's the analogy that I drew from what he was talking about, okay? We have we have perpetual light shining upon us, and instead we choose to dwell in darkness with flashlights and say, well, we still have a vestige of the light. We right. know what kind of... No, you don't know what the warmth of the light is because you've, you've gone too far away. I think so much of the problem is that the modern world is built on the phrase, man is the measure of all things, Right which is, I don't know if that's Virgil or what, I forget, but it was reappropriated in the Renaissance. If I'm the measure of all things, then I understand light to be the flashlight. You know what I mean? And I understand love to be my love, my experience of love. Right? I, everything is radically subjectified because I become the, I determine what things are. I determine what is true. I determine what I believe on these different issues. And... The task of the Christian and what we really have to recover is the death of my capacity and my desire to measure out existence and truth according to how I want it to be. That is what has to die in recovering a sense of transcendence. But that that hits us. It hits the pride of Christians. So we become the measure of all things and then we fight other people who would think they're the measure of all things. Mm -hmm. And it's nothing. Instead of just being completely captivated by the fact that this flashlight is nothing compared to the radiance of the sun, right. like you're saying. Yeah. And in all of what we've tried to do with our understanding, our theology, whatever, um, even our medicinal and technical world is we're trying to eliminate suffering. Yeah. Okay. That's what's we're, tr- all we're trying to live in comfort. Okay. And what does faith do? I mean, faith is not um, you just take a pill and all of a sudden suffering doesn't affect you anymore. Um, it, there, there still is this depravity of evil in our society. You know, the question of, you know, who is God and how is there evil in the world has been throughout the ages, okay? Paragraph 57, okay? We started at paragraph 4. And then we got to go because the concert starts in about five minutes. What? So we have three? We've been doing this for like five hours. So. <laughs> Anyways, paragraph 57. In drawing near to suffering, 
In drawing near to the suffering, he's speaking of St. Francis and Mother Teresa, in drawing near to the suffering, they were certainly not able to eliminate all their pain or to explain every evil. Faith is not a light. Isn't that amazing? The, the, the thing's called lumen fidei, the light of faith. He says, faith is not a light which scatters all our darkness, but a lamp which guides our steps in the night and suffices for the journey. To those who suffer, God does not provide arguments which explain everything. Rather, his response is that that of an accompanying presence, a history of goodness, which touches every story of suffering and opens up a ray of light. Bam. Christ is the fullest revelation of the Father. If If you're trapped in moralism or trying to figure out what does the church mean by, you know, gay marriage or whatever else, or indulgences... I mean, even if you want to go to the positive side, what does the church mean by the Immaculate Conception and indulgences and, you know, the the priesthood of believers and the priesthood of the baptized and the priesthood of sacraments, whatever? What is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? And the more we meditate on that, the more we can start to see things come into focus. But if we're just focusing on the problem of this age, whatever it may be, you know, now it's abortion and contraception. In a couple of years, it could be, you know, euthanasia or, you know, aliens. I have no idea. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the crisis of faith is also a crisis of love. The more we come to understand and be apprehended by this mystery of who Christ is, the more we will come to love him. And if we've lost our love and we've lost our faith, we need to re-encounter the person of Jesus. Bam. Amen. Good homily. Good homily, maybe not a podcast. As uh, Father Mike told me, he's he at the sign of peace. He said, "Good eulogy," and I was like, "Was it that depressing?" But he meant the yeah. Greek benedictio. You spoke well, my friend. Much grace in okay. your soul. No, uh, no emails. That's it. Pray for us that we don't, you know, blow up this equipment and uh, that we have a good rest of the summer. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. That's it. Thanks for listening. Cheers.